Father, we do thank you and praise you for your word. We thank you, Lord, for uh, the stories that, um, that, that are unfolding before our eyes, Lord. Uh, we thank you for Mark's account of, of Jesus, the Christ, as he identifies in the first chapter. And so, Lord, as we look at these stories today, we look at this, uh, the story of a, of a man who was deaf and, and a, had a hard time speaking. And, and so, Lord, as we look at this account, uh, Father, we pray that you would help us to keep our eyes on Christ, who, as they uh, said in the story, that he does all things well. Lord, we pray that you would help us to have um, a clear uh, picture of who Jesus is, and Lord, may you give us ears that, that can hear his, his voice uh, communicating to us. Lord, we are grateful for the life that we have in Christ. We're thankful that he paid it all for us. Uh, we ask that you would guide us now, and it's in Christ's good name we pray. Amen. Um, <clears throat> verse 31. Again, he went out from the region of Tyre, and came through Sidon to the Sea of Galilee, within the region of the Decapolis. They brought to him one who was deaf and spoke with difficulty, and they implored him to lay his hand on him. Jesus took him inside from the crowd by himself and put his fingers into his ears, and after spitting, he touched his tongue with the saliva, and looking up to heaven with a deep sigh, he said to him, Ephphatha, that is, be opened. And his ears were opened, and the impediment of his tongue was removed, and he began speaking plainly. And he gave them orders not to tell anyone, but the more he ordered them, the more wi- widely they continued to proclaim it. They were utterly astonished, saying, He has done all things well. He makes even the deaf to hear and the mute to speak. And Father, we do thank you for your word. We ask that you would guide us now, and it's in Christ's good name we pray. Amen. All right. So as we, we get into this story, it's, it's one that's kind of good to, to back up to. If we go back to the beginning of Mark, um, and in the very opening line of, of Mark, the very first verse, we read, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, as it is written in Isaiah, the prophet, behold, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way, the voice of the one crying in the wilderness, make way, make, the way, make ready the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. And so, so Mark opens up with this, it's been prophesied that the Messiah will come as the Messiah comes, he will be, there'll be a forerunner that comes before him, John the Baptist, that, that will prepare the way for the Messiah to come. Everything that he writes about in Mark He's pointing to the reality that Jesus is the Messiah. And as we look at today's story, sometimes when we, we slowly go through the gospel and we say, oh, Jesus, I mean, Jesus just seems like he heals everybody and that all of these things just are constantly happening. And it's easy for us to, to lose focus about what they're trying to, to point to. And, and Isaiah, specifically chapter 35, which we'll look at beforehand, there was an expectation that the Messiah, when he came, he would, he would do certain healings, that the, the deaf would re- restore their hearing and their tongues would be able to speak again. And, and so in this story, uh, there's a pointing to prophecy that's fulfilled. It's subtle, but that Jesus is actually the Messiah and that we can, we can trust him. 
And so our story sort of begins, verse 31, we read, and he went out from the region of Tyre and came through Sidon to the Sea of Galilee and within the region of the Decapolis. So we have the map behind us. The Sea of Galilee is down here. We started last week. He goes up to Tyre, which is a Gentile country. All of today's story, all of next week's story, all of this is in Gentile territory. This is, uh, uh, remember, our, our context is where we find ourselves beginning chapter 7 with the scribes and Pharisees making their appearance back to Galilee, sort of confronting Jesus. They see that his disciples aren't washing their hands, not for hygienic reasons, but for religious reasons. Uh, they weren't following the customs of the elders. And so Jesus begins to confront them on this issue. Um, he shows them that man is, is sinful from within. It's not externals that make us unholy. It's our inside that makes us unholy. And so moving from that confrontation, that teaching, he goes to the uncleanest of all. He goes to the Gentiles. And so all of this Tyre, Sidon, uh, down in the Decapolis region, we don't know where today's story happens, but it's on the other side of the Sea of Galilee. It's the city, it's a 10 cities of uh, this, this Gentile world. The Jewish people would not go there. Um, and so Jesus is, is bridging this gap that, hey, people can't make you unclean. And that, that I have called Israel to be a, a light uh, unto the work that is happening, that God cares about all people. And there's a, a mission to the world of all humanity. And so that story continues. It is the, many commentators pointed out that the way he went this is, this is the least convenient way that Jesus could have gotten to the Sea of Galilee. So to go from Tyre up to Sidon, this is modern-day Lebanon, and then to kind of hook around. So Jesus was an excellent hiker. They all, they, like, this guy like, was, was putting in you know, 20 miles a day and was just taking his guys uh, for a long walk, and, but, but through a very non-Jewish portion of the countryside. Um, we have been to the capitalist before, and there's sort of this, this, this undercurrent of this story. Uh, back in Mark chapter 5, uh, towards the end of it, remember, there's the, the guy when they went across to the other side, and they were met with by the, uh, the it's a word that I have a terrible time saying, that's the word, a man who had a, a demon within him, demoniac, demoniac, Pontiac, no, I don't know, like, it's, it's a difficult word. Um, but so this guy who was, when they went over there, they were met by this guy that was cutting himself, super dangerous. Nobody cared about him. Um, Jesus gets the demons out of him. The demons go into the swine. The swine go off the cliff. The people come and they say, get out of here. We don't want anything to do with you. The man pleads with Jesus, please let me go with you. And he says, no, you stay here and you tell him what has happened to you, that God has had mercy on you and what great things he's done. And so that guy went out. And so when we get back to this region today and going into to next week with the feeding of the 4,000, suddenly their reception, they're met by the people joyfully. The, the, the people, the, the climate, the attitude has shifted towards Jesus in this region. And it's, it's hard to, where did they get this message? Where, where did they learn about Jesus? Why did the things shift? And, and there seems to be sort of in the shadows of it, that man with a demon, the Larry? Demoniac. Demoniac. There we go. Uh, he seems to be telling everybody what Jesus has done. And, and now the people are open to hearing about Jesus. 
And so as they enter into the Decapolis, which is a large region, verse uh, 32, they brought to him one who was deaf and spoke with difficulty. Uh, the first thing I want to point out in this, this story, this is, a, this is a simple, short story that, that I, I, I want us to sort of imagine. Um, first off, throughout the story, we see that it's they. We have no idea who these guys are. It's speculated that they're friends of, of, of this, this guy, and, but, but that's, that's a guess. They could just be very compassionate towards this man. They've heard about Jesus and, and they see this, this man who we learn uh, was deaf, so he can't hear. Um, that many commentators sort of hold the opinion that this is not a man that was born deaf. This is an individual that could speak at one point in his life and then lost his ability to hear. And the reason they link that is because he had the capacity to speak, that, that he could speak, but it, it was with great difficulty um, th- that he could speak. Uh, th- throughout this week, I can't, uh, Brian's right here. I can't, can't help but to think of Brian. Tyler, I don't think, is uh, here. But for those of us that know and love Tyler, I mean, I remember the first time I met Tyler, he came up and looked me right in the eyes, and he said, I have a hard time hearing. I have these, the cochlear implants. And if you have any questions, ask me any questions. And I'm happy to answer any of your questions, but I need you to look at me when you're talking. Because if, I'm not, if I don't see you, it's very difficult for me. And I'm like, this is a very articulate long man. I'm like, I like this guy. And, and I appreciate his like, forthrightness in explaining the difficulty. And Brian's the same way. I, I should have asked these guys permission to sort of throw them under the bus today. But it's, he's like, he's giving me permission right now. But, 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 it's, but in our culture, to not have your hearing... It's, it's not the same as it was then. This, you, there was no hope for fixing these problems, and you would be very isolated from the community in which you sat. It would be uh, scary, almost, um, that you couldn't hear what people were saying. You couldn't understand what was going on. You maybe had the ability to, uh, to, to read lips, and figure out what was going on, but, but ultimately you would just sort of, you, you couldn't engage, and, and so you would be sort of distant from everybody. Um, I can't imagine the frustration. I, I mean, just this week, I don't even want to put myself in the same category, but I had a head cold this week, and it's kind of like even today, like during the worship, it's like my left ear feels like I was on a plane. I'm like trying to clear it, and just like one ear being clogged up. It's like you sort of feel like out of balance. You think you're hearing everything, but you're having a hard time kind of focusing. Um, we all at some level have had a, a little bit of this frustration. But for this man, th- this, this difficulty was more than a difficulty. Th- this is a, a, a catastrophic problem. Uh, to imagine his frustration, to imagine the pain of those who knew him? Um, or were these just individuals that saw him and his saying they hear about Jesus, which he didn't have the capacity to hear about Jesus, that they had mercy on him and then they drug him to Jesus? Um, now, something that you're not going to see in just the reading of the text, I, I, I referenced this idea of that there's this... Um, 
within this passage, there, there's a subtle prophecy. I, I don't know if I want to use it that strongly, but th- there's, there's this tying of this, th- this idea of Isaiah towards this story that I think that Mark is, is linking us to. Um, the word spoke with difficulty is a very uh, unique word for, for speaking. It's not the normal word that would be used in the, in the Greek. In fact, this word is, um, I didn't write it down in the Greek, but it starts with like an M. So it's like mama blah blah something or other. And uh, it's much more clear if I was looking at it. Um, but this is the only place in the New Testament that this, that this word is used. And so sometimes it can be, uh, sometimes that means something, sometimes it doesn't mean anything. And so normally when you, when you discover like there, there's a unique word, it's not happenstance, that, that these words are, that God used these specific words with the specific authors for a specific reason. And it just kind of whenever you, you kind of are scrolling through on the software and you go, huh, this word's only been used, this is the only time it's been used in the New Testament. That's, hmm. Sometimes the hmm turns into nothing, and sometimes there's like a huh. Fascinating. So the next step to do is to figure out how that word is used in other sources would be to go to the Septuagint. Now, to explain the Septuagint, um, since we have such a short passage, I, I, I feel like I have a little bit of time here to, to explain the Septuagint. Um, so the Old Testament that we have, there's, there's two languages in the Bible that are used. The New Testament is, is, is Greek that is used because that was a language of the day that Alexander the Great, as he conquered the world, he forced Greek upon the world. It became a universal language um, so that everybody could communicate with one another. And so that's the language of the New Testament. The, the Old Testament that we have, is, its origin is from the Hebrew text which most of us are aware, I think most of us are aware of that. So the, the Old Testament that we have um, is translation straight from the Hebrew text into the English translation that you have. Um, sometimes you'll notice that if you read your, your Bible or the New Testament and there's a quote from the Old Testament and you go, oh, I want to go back to see what it says in the Old Testament and you go back there and you go, oh, it's a quote from... Isaiah, but it seems so different. It doesn't, you, you think it would be like word for word if it's a, a quote. Um, this, is, this is the part that I'm getting to. So the, then now we need to introduce ourselves to the Septuagint. So the Septuagint is the Greek translation of the Old Testament. Um, as we kind of look at biblical history, I wasn't planning on going too far into this, um, but, but basically, Israel existed as a nation. Then they were split into the north and south, the ten tribes up north, the two tribes down below. Um, in two waves, basically, the whole of, of Israel was taken into captivity between Babylon and Assyria. And uh, there were a very few remnant of Jews that, that, that kept their native tongue. Um, we see this in Acts where you see the, 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 the Jews of the diaspora and then the scattered Jews is what that means, that they were scattered to other parts of the world. And then you have the, the Jews that were a very small group that 
maintained their language. They maintained the, the sort of the, um, what they would view as the, the purity of who they are as a, as, a, as a people. They were in the very, very, very minority. The rest of the Jews that were scattered sort of lost their identity. They sort of were absorbed into the culture. And, and really the predominant language for them was Greek. And, and so then the Septuagint, the Greek translation of the Hebrew Bible came about. And so this is the translation that would have been in circulation um, during Jesus' time, during the, the, during the times of the apostles. So when they were reading out of the Old Testament, they weren't reading from the Hebrew text. They were reading from the Greek translation of the Hebrew Bible. And so all of that to explain that when you, when you see a Greek word in the New Testament that's used once or, or many times and you want to get a broader sampling of how this ancient word was used, the next source that you'd go to is the Septuagint to say, hey, is this word, is this word used in the Septuagint at all? And sometimes you'll get some there, and if you don't go there, then you go to the broader, how did, the, how did history record this word to try to get an idea. Now, it's fascinating. This word is used one time also in the Septuagint. And so if you'll turn with me over to Isaiah chapter 35. And, and I can't help, and I'm not alone, there's many commentators, they... they it's too random to think that this is just happen chance. That so oh, this in, in Mark's mind, he he knows this word. He knows Isaiah, and he seems to be linking the two. Um, it's it's really in verse six, but I, I do want to kind of skim through the. Um, the, broad, the broader context, just because there's a little a couple of like a, huh, I don't know if that means anything, but it's just kind of interesting. Um, so verse 1 of Isaiah 35, uh, the wilderness and the desert will be glad, and the Araba will rejoice and blossom like the crocus, and will blossom profusely and rejoice with rejoicing and shout of joy. The glory of Lebanon, that's the, huh, where did Jesus just come from? <laughs> Lebanon, Tyre and Sidon. So like our story that we're reading, getting here, flows through the land. I'm not even saying that there's anything big here. It's just like, a, huh, that's interesting. The, the glory of Lebanon will be given to it. The majesty of Carmel and Sharon, they will see the glory of the Lord, the majesty of our God. Encourage the exhausted, strengthen the feeble, say to those with anxious heart, take courage, fear not. Behold, your God will come with vengeance. The recompense of God will come, but he will save you. Then the eyes of the blind will be open and the ears of the deaf, there's that Greek word that's only used in the Septuagint once and only used in the New Testament once in today's story, Uncanny. And the tongue of the mute will shout for joy, for waters will break forth in the wilderness and streams in the Arabah. And so we, we read this. You can go back to, to, to Mark. 
I can't help but to think Mark, who, the story's not in, in any of the other Gospels. I do have a parallel reference of Matthew chapter 15. I think it's up there, yeah, verses 29 through 31. I say it, it kind of parallels. Matthew's account doesn't talk about this one guy. He just kind of says, as they made this route, many came and were healed. And he describes a whole bunch of sort of just, you know, Jesus is just kind of doing his thing and people are being healed. But Mark focuses on this one individual. And as he focuses on this one individual who speaks with difficulty in that word that he used, the only other place that word is used is in the Greek version of the Old Testament in Isaiah dealing with the Messiah who's going to come that will bring forth rejoicing and jubilation. And in his coming, there will be people who can't hear that suddenly can hear and that they couldn't speak and now they can speak. Seems more than a, like a coincidence to me. Um, and, and so in this story, Mark is pushing forward, demonstrating, uh, proving that this Jesus, whom they walked with, who they saw all these things, he's not just some man that was a good teacher. He's not just some guy that was able to, you know, pull some tricks out of the bag to kind of impress the people, that, that this Jesus is indeed the Messiah. The, the whole purpose of the Gospel of Mark, as he says in the very opening verse, is to demonstrate that Jesus is the Messiah. And so here we have this guy who speaks with difficulty, um, and they, these, these, these unnamed friends that we know nothing about, <clears throat> they implored him to lay his hand on him. So this word imploring, this is, this is a desperation. This isn't a... This isn't like gently asking. This reminds me of the lady last week who just wouldn't take no for an answer, who was quick-witted and just wouldn't give up, that just kept pressing. The idea here is is if you're using the New American Standard and you see the star next to the word implored, that tells you that it's a continuous action. It's not just... um, It's not like they just asked once and were waiting for a response. It was like they were pleading, asking, Jesus, this guy can't hear. Do something. We've heard about your healing capacity. You can do all this stuff. They weren't going to back down. <clears throat> and so they're, they're forcing themselves, they're forcing the situation into Jesus' lap because Jesus is the only hope for this man to restore his hearing, to have any sort of, uh, of any hope. <clears throat> and in the midst of this, I'm just wondering about the guy. Does he have any idea what is going on? I, um, when, when, when the, when the fire was going on here, Brian showed up. And there was a family that was there. We led them into the back. They had their dogs. I said, just come on. And, and, and talking to this man, um, I said, you guys seem really concerned. And he's like, it sounded like your house was close. And he's, like, he's, and he's looking at the smoke. He's like, that's my whole life is going up. And, and I'm like, well, what, what happened? And he's like, I was doing yard work all morning, and I came home and took a nap. And when I took a nap, he's like, something woke me up. But when I looked, I just saw orange out of my windows. And it's like, orange isn't good. <laughs> like, beautiful sunset, one thing. But when there's a fire, orange is terrible. And, and he's like, we just took what we could do and we could get out. And about this time, Brian came up and was talking. And Brian started talking. And then the guy responded. And Brian just kind of turned around and did his thing. And I'm like, 
Brian's not being rude to you. He, he has a hard time, like, hearing. And he's like, oh, yeah, I can't hear this one, and this one's worthless, you know, and, and kind of laughing. He's like, I'm not being rude to you. I just, I, 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 I didn't know what you were saying. And, and so all of this happening as this story's on my mind, here's, here are these friends dragging this guy to Jesus. They're pleading with him to do a, a, a miracle in his ear. And I'm not sure that this guy has any clue what's going on. Like, he might be looking around, here's Jesus, and there's 12 guys with him, and, and like, because you don't just assume some guy's going to spit on his hand and then put it in your mouth and that everything's going to be fixed. Or at least I don't, you know. And, and, and so this guy, is he afraid? Is he totally confused because is there a crowd around him? And in verse 33, we see that Jesus took him aside from the crowd by himself. And I don't know if this is Jesus uh, offering this guy some, some privacy. Um, if this guy's like overwhelmed and is just really kind of confused, like he realizes that he's sort of the, the center of attention, that something's going on about him and there's something cons- about this man who, like does, does he understand who Jesus is? Like I don't, I, I, we do, but I don't think he does. And, and I think Jesus, in his being merciful and gentle with this guy, he, pu- he pulls the guy to somewhere private so that everybody else is away. And in this story of, of, of uh, this, whole, this whole, the rest of verse 33 and 34, Jesus is going to do five or six things that from our context, it seems a little bit strange. Um, but I think what's happening is I think Jesus is, using sign language, which didn't exist. He's trying to communicate with this man who couldn't communicate. Um, One of the most powerful uh, spiritual encounters that I ever witnessed, I mean, it was a a witnessing thing for me. I was not involved in it. Um, Early in my Christian life, I'm still active duty, there were, there were windows when I could do stuff to serve, and then there were windows when I couldn't, and I was super inconsistent. And I, I know I've shared that I went to one of the pastors and said, hey, what, what can I do? And he's like, well, what can you do? And I'm like, well, well, I can do just about anything you want me to do, but the problem is I'm on the road 220 days out of the year. And he's like, oh, wonderful. <laughs> that, that really makes it, yeah. Well, can you shake people's hands? And so I started shaking people's hands when I was there. And then there was a block where, where something happened and Miles McPherson, he would do these events where he would have these evangelism outreach and, and he was doing one that it would, it would work for me to participate with him. I said, hey, I can go serve. What do you want me to do? And they're like, well, you're an active duty Navy SEALs. You can go be Miles' personal bodyguard. And I'm like, yeah, I'm not really a bouncer, but yeah, I see where you're going with this. You think, go oh, Navy SEAL, tough guy, which wasn't really the case. And but, but hey, I'll go back behind stage. There's snacks back there. And it's like, you know, like, I don't really have to, like, interact. And, and, and at this one event, they were really concerned about the safety of the event. If my, I, I think it's, it was in, I, 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 it's been 20 years. But I think it was the Staples Center. I think it's where the Clippers play. And I guess it's in a really bad part of Los Angeles. And, and so they're like, we just, we just, we just, don't, we just don't know how this is going to go. We, it's a, it's, uh, I think it was right in the heart of like the Bloods and Crips, and there, there was just a lot of fears that something, could, that could, something could go bad at a Christian outreach. 
And I'm like, well, I figure I'm safe behind this stage. I know I'm supposed to be doing security, but I figure I'll, I'll go. And so we went, and, and because of the, uh, my, my job to be his personal bodyguard, which I had no experience in that, and I had no weapon, I had nothing, and so I, you know, I don't even think I had a cell phone. I don't know if we had them back then. And, and so, well, when he had to go on stage to speak, I just kind of stood on stage kind of behind the curtain, but I can see everybody. And I, I, I remember during that time, and Miles is a very good speaker, and you, know, you wonder with the, the results that he gets if he's just with his words. But when I was standing there to Miles' right and to the right, at the bottom of the stage, there was a sign language person. What, I'm sure they're called something more official than that, but interpreter. And she's doing her thing. And I can see amongst the, the people that are in the front row, there was this young man. And he's got tears just flowing down his face. And he couldn't give a rip about what Miles was saying. He was just watching the interpreter. And the message that he was getting through the interpreter was just rocking this kid's world. And, and um, for me, it's like, okay, this is the power of God, that this isn't about his being able to speak really impressively. This, this is the message going to an interpreter, going through like whatever they're doing with their hands, that's then communicating. Well, I know there was this. Like, I remember that. There's the cross. And, and going to this young man's just to, to, I mean, the kid must have been like 14, or, and just tears flowing down his face intent, and just super powerful. And I, and I can't shake that image in looking at this story. So, so this is a, a, a man who by our understanding, has no comprehension of what's happening. He knows that he can't hear. He can speak at some level, but it would have been a terrible stutter because the the ability to speak is so connected to your ability to hear. And it's, I mean, it's a a miracle that we're able to communicate at, at the level that we do, that what God has created and that all of these systems are sort of intertwined together and if one fails it's going to affect the other and and so here jesus has this guy privately and i think that one two three four five six so i count six things five of them at least are are useless to the whole story like none of the five things need to happen for jesus to do what he's about to do the, the reality is last week we have this girl that's possessed by a demon that's not on scene. The mom is there making her case, pleading for mercy. And finally, when Jesus is like, you have great faith, go, go home, your daughter's well. He didn't need to be there. He didn't need to touch her. He didn't need to do anything. He, he can do whatever he wants remotely. But so in this story, he pulls this guy aside. And I don't know if he shows, if Jesus is showing him his hands and he touched, so he grabs his ears. And I think he's like letting him know like, I'm going to do something to your ears. Then after that, he then spits into his hands, which I won't demonstrate for you all because then I'll just wipe them on my pants and you guys all be looking like. But so then, so he, he spits. And there's a whole lot of commentary on this. 
This, this text has probably sent a lot of Bible studies and small groups into like, you know, totally out in the left field about. Jesus is a rabbi. There was a view like that the whole, like the spit of a rabbi was holy. I, you know, who knows? But Jesus spits into his hand. And then with that, he then touches the guy's tongue. And there seems to be like, hey, your ears, I'm about to do something with your ears. I'm going to do something to your tongue. Are you with me? Do you, like, I mean, you can't use these words. And then as he's doing this, Jesus looks up to heaven, I think is a picture that Jesus is trying to communicate to this man. Like, this is, I, like, this is a God thing that we're doing here. Like, I, I don't know if you know, I mean, Jesus knew, but he, we're not told if, like, like, clearly, Jesus knows everything. But we don't know if this guy knows that Jesus is who he is. And so Jesus is looking to heaven, and then there's this deep sigh. Um, <clears throat> and just because the guy can't hear, and just because he, he speaks with a stammer, that doesn't mean he's stupid. So, like, it's, it's, it's really funny when, you, uh, when we watch people, and I'm guilty of it all the time, is you meet somebody that doesn't meet the same language as you, and so what do we do? Hi, my name is, and they're like, I don't have a hearing problem. I, I don't speak your language. Like, I've met a number of guys, uh, like, going down to Mexico or that have immigrated up and, and talking with them, and they're like, I was a surgeon in my other country, but now I'm painting houses. And so I'm, you know, it's like, you're a smart guy, and just because you're doing this, like, or whatever it is, that it, the, the guy is not stupid. And so he's going, okay, there's, we're, I understand my ears, my tongue. Jesus looks up to heaven, and then there's this deep sigh that, like, there, you can see that. And, and a person that can read lips, it's like, okay, we're communicating something. There, is, is this sorrowful over this event? Is, is there agony, empathy, or sympathy, whichever? I always get those two words confused. But the guy who's having this, he sees Jesus like, do this sigh, and this whole story. These are details of, like, an eyewitness account, like, just so strange. And, and then there's a word. So as he sighs, we're told that Jesus says something, and this word, just to kind of get, get our bearings straight, Mark is not writing to Jews. He's writing to Romans. And they wouldn't be familiar with the language. And this is, a, this is an Aramaic word. Aramaic and Hebrew are like very, very similar. Like professionals have a hard time telling the difference a lot of time. But so he says this very difficult word in Aramaic. And, and so then there's, in the commentaries, there, there's all of these um, speech pathologists. To, um, just to think about this guy's situation. So you go into surgery, or you have, you're intubated, or you have something, like you have no problems with your ears, you have no problems with your speech, you go into surgery, or you've been sort of uh, the tube down your throat for a while, 
you're going to have to see a speech. <laughs> the perfect example, Gunnar. I might need one now. Um, a speech pathologist to teach you to work with you to get your voice back. And so they, their, their speech pathologist, patholo- oh man, perfect. <laughs> they, they've said that this word, f f th is an extremely difficult word to lip read. It would be a virtually impossible word to lip read, let alone to say. And then Mark tells us that is be opened. Let your ears be opened. And in verse 35, we read, and his ears were opened. And so that word that would be very difficult to lip read, this deaf man is watching Jesus, trying to figure out what's going on. And then as Jesus says, Ephatha, a word that he couldn't lip read, suddenly he's able to hear what the lips are saying. It gives me goosebumps. like to imagine this guy. This is, and his ears were open, and the impediment of his tongue was removed. There was no speech pathologist that came in and started working with him. Suddenly his ears, whatever were going on, all the little bones that are in your ears, and if you want a lesson on it, see Brian, because Brian will tell you all about the little thingamajiggers that are in there, that there's like little hairs, and then there's tubes, and then there's little bones, and they do all of this stuff to transmit to your brain the sounds that are out there, and then from years of hearing sounds a certain way in your head, you have learned to mimic those sounds with your voice. And a person who is deaf doesn't hear sounds the way you or I hear sounds. And so a lot of times when they speak, their voice sounds distinctly different because they're mimicking the sound that they hear. But in this moment, it's not just the miracle of hearing. I mean, there's the miracle of hearing. There's the miracle of speech. But, but between those two points, I don't even know. how. I, I want to talk to a doctor to figure out how many different miracles had to occur for this guy to hear like that and then to begin communicating. Powerful. He began speaking plainly. And then Jesus gives him the great decommission. We know about the great commission, you know, go and tell the world. He gives him the great, don't go tell anybody about this. But I'm not going to knock this guy because you don't have the ability to hear or to speak and then you're immediately healed of this. Yeah, right, I'm going to be telling everybody. Um, as, as he did. It's like, it's, but the more he ordered them, the more wildly they continued to proclaim it. They, they, they couldn't keep their mouth shut. And they were astonished. Again, the day, we have no idea. We don't, is this two people? Is this three people? Is this five people? Is this, like, we don't know who this they is that brought Jesus. And this is, this is so how the work of the gospel is, is done, that there's one hero in the story of the Bible, and it's Jesus. And then there's a, 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 this masses of they, as the gospel is going forth, um, I, I heard the story, or I was reminded of the story of Spurgeon, who's like the great preacher of 
the 18th century, or the 19th, 18th, I always get those mixed. I think he was in the 1800s. And um, I think it's the 19th century. He's going back to the 1800s. <clears throat> Spurgeon is this man of God who is used like by a whole generation and has con- con- continued to influence like pastors of today. Nobody knows anything about the guy that led him to Christ. There's a story that his grandma as a young man nagged him to go to church. And so finally he decided that he would go to this church where, uh, where, where his grandma had told him to go. But, but on this Sunday when he decided to go, to go to church, it was snowing really, really bad. And as he was walking to the church, he missed the church that his grandma, or he, he fell short of the church that his grandma recommended, and he pulled into this church that really nobody, it was, a, it was a tiny little church that they were unaware of as far as I know. I'm, like, I'm just rehashing this out of my head, so don't hold me too closely to the, the facts of the story. Um, but I'd encourage you to look up the story and get all the details. And so the story goes that he pulls into this church, and simultaneously at this church, the pastor who was supposed to speak, because the snowstorm, couldn't make it in. And church started. And a guy who wasn't the pastor of the church had no plans of of preaching that morning, knew that the text was that, that text about, you know, be saved. And so he got up and he read the text once, be saved. He's like, well, that took too short. You know, like, let's read it again. And so he read, be saved a couple of times. And then he started looking around the room and there was like one mischievous little man and he knew everybody else. And so he starts pointing at the kid, be saved. I don't know you. You need to be saved. You, and I guess it was like 30 minutes of the pastor looking at Spurgeon. You need to be saved. Spurgeon finally goes, I think I need to be saved. <laughs> and then like the rest is history. But who is this nameless man that led Spurgeon to Christ that, that all these things? Like who are the, they? they we, I think there's a message about the they. Like we don't serve Christ. We don't honor Christ. We don't do the things for Christ for self-promotion or self-recognition. This is... This is the gospel is done with Jesus being at the front and center of everything. It's all about him. It's not about us. And as they're astonished about it, what they're saying about him is he does all things well. He makes even the deaf to hear and the mute to speak. And it's this phrase, if you get one thing stuck in your head today, he does all things well. Um, you can, you can trust Jesus. And so the, story, the people in the story, we have an unnamed man that I think had something to do with this reception of Jesus is that demon-possessed man that Jesus refused to let go with him at the end of chapter 5. He's not named in this story. Jesus gave him an order to, to go share. And it seems that this shift in the culture in the Decapolis region is because of this unnamed, demon-possessed man that had been changed by Jesus, he faithfully goes out and does what Jesus has to do. And now there's all these people that we're going to see the throngs of people next week in the same region, sort of part two from today. Um, We we, we see the the friends. I, I think we see their compassion for this guy who seemed unhelpable, seemed distant. They had a hard time communicating with him. And, and yet they were compassionate towards him. They, they took the time 
to, to bring him to Christ. It reminds me of the guys that bring the paralytic to, to Capernaum. And it's like, man, how are we going to get in? Let's just tear the roof off and lower him down. That sounds like a great idea. And so it begs the question, like, am I burdened for the lost? Like, this, these, whoever these are, like, could, could be women, could be men. Like, I don't, like, I have, they, like, do I share this sort of burden? Am I willing to put myself out to bring somebody that doesn't know Christ to Christ because ultimately Christ is the answer? Like, are you lost? Are you, are you, are you the deaf guy in the story? Trying to imagine this guy being drugged to Christ. Um, I, I don't hear. Somebody wants to start reaching for my ears. I'm going to be like, back away. That's even before we get to the spit. Like, I said, demoed on Rick. See if I spit in my hand. See how far I can get like, to, just to get into his mouth. But there is something in this. It is obscure as it seems for us. I feel like Jesus has called me to do a bunch of obscure things and things that don't seem right from my carnal perspective that I've submitted myself to to go, oh, Jesus really knew what he was doing. He does all things well. Like, I don't understand why I was raised in this sort of situation. I don't understand why these things happened to me. But I can stand on the sovereignty of God knowing that he does all things well and whatever's happening in my little bubble, Jesus is doing something well. Um, Many have pointed out that the order in which Jesus did the healing or the touching of the guy's hand, although both responded at the same time, um, that first his ears were opened And then as his ears were opened to the truth of Jesus, then his mouth was opened. And they said, oh, that's kind of like something that we need to do. And when I look at this man, I I know I can see them both in my my line of sight, but I'll I'll never forget about six months ago, Rachel had some need and Brian went over. Oh yeah, it was the hole in the, no, there was no hole. He dug like a 15 foot hole to get to the broken pipe. And Rachel then told Anna, Brian sure might be deaf but he sure can't hear the voice of God like nobody else. And regardless of your hearing, Jesus wants you to hear his voice. He wants you to listen to him. He wants you to to hear what he's doing. And then when you hear what he's doing and asking of you to do uh, in your marriage, in your parenting, in your workplace, your work ethic, uh, how you drive how you interact with people around you. He wants you to listen to him and to respond appropriately because he does all things well. You can trust him for the outcome. With that, let's pray. And Father, we do thank you that you do all things well. Uh, we, We confess, Lord, often our lack of trust and our lack of we might hear you, we might know what you're saying, we might know what you're leading us to do, but we just have a willful disobedience about us, Lord, that we resist your calling, we resist um, your, your whispering in our ear, Lord, to lead us a certain way. And so we confess that to you, Lord. Father, I pray for each person here, those that don't know you, Lord, that they... Um, that they would have their ears opened so that they could experience salvation and ultimate healing in Christ. 
we thank you, Lord, for the freedom that is made available to us, that we can be set free uh, from our sin and uh, the wrath that is due us. And Father, for those of us that uh, know you, Lord, I pray that you would uh, clean the wax out of our spiritual hearts, um, that we would grow more sensitive in listening to your spirit, uh, that, that we would have a willingness and a desire just to obey you, to be faithful in our lives. Um, we thank you, Lord, that Jesus is Lord and that he really does do all things well. And we pray this in Christ's good name. Amen.